Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. If you have a Bible this morning, please take it. We'll go to the tiny book of Philemon. I will start a sermon this morning and conclude it this evening at 5.30 in our evening service. And we're going to entitle this, Called to Care. This is the series we're in. And we're going to look at the life of Philemon, Paul, and a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. That's a long title. His name really means useful, but he was anything but that. And we're going to Uh, read his story. The conquest of compassion. We are called to care. What we learned a couple weeks ago is this, that compassion, that is biblical compassion, involves our feelings surely, but it starts with a high regard for the glory of God. And uh, who was moved to leave heaven's heights, right? Come down, live among us, that we might one day enjoy eternity with him in the eternal state. So he reached low that he might bring us up to glory in a glorified state with him for all of eternity. And so really the end of biblical compassion is to reconcile the lost to Christ. So when we think about biblical compassion, whether it be on those who are not yet born and counseling those who are trying to make tough decisions sometimes about ending the life of their own little baby in the womb, We uh, counsel them to understand that it's not their right, it's a life, it's not their choice, it's a life. God is the one who gives life. But whether we're rescuing these or rescuing others, it does require often that we reach down in order that we might bring them one day with us to glory. What a wonderful truth that is when it comes to the idea of compassion. I hope you found Philemon by now. It's tucked away after the book of Titus, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Hebrews. That's where it is. Only 25 verses in this little epistle that Paul writes to his good friend Philemon. Father, we pray that you would give us this day your mind as we study this scripture. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are a compassionate God. It's one of your names. Thank you that you are Rav Hased, the God who is plenteous in mercy. Teach us thy ways. Teach us how to be compassionate as you were. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a day, of course, that we celebrate or commend ourselves to the battle for the unborn. And I turn your attention this morning to another rescue story in the New Testament, the rescue of a runaway servant by the name of Onesimus. I've already told you what his name means. It means that he was supposed to be, or his name meant useful, but he was, of course, In the eyes of his master, useless. Let's read the story together. Only 25 verses follow as I read Paul, verse 1. The prisoner of Jesus Christ, Paul would remind us that he was Christ's prisoner, though he was in the custody of Rome in the jail there. And Timothy was with him. Others at the end of this book are also attending Paul. Unto Philemon. Philemon lives in Colossae, our dearly beloved fellow laborer. And to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, this is his family, his wife and son, to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank God, Paul is good about this, I thank God making mention of thee always in my prayers. Paul had a vital, vibrant prayer life. Oh, that we would be this kind of prayer. Hearing of thy love, thy faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus, and toward all the saints, that the communication of thy faith may become even more effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus, dear friend, if there's anything good in us, it's because of Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love. There's the key here from which we're really focusing in on the beginning of the year, called to care. For we have great joy and comfort in thy love because of the heart or the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. His personality there is seen. Verse 8, wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to really order you or enjoin thee that which is convenient or proper. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged. Paul was only in his 60s. Makes me feel a little uncomfortable about that. Paul the aged. I won't ask how old you are, but Paul claims to be up in years in that day's economy. He probably was nearing and was nearing the end of his life, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He mentions that again. I beseech thee, appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable. He's playing on the words here of his own name, Onesimus. He's profitable to thee and to me now, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. Again, the word means today when our vernacular, my own heart, seat of my emotions, whom I would have retained with me, I would have liked to do that, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind, without your permission, would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity or forced, but willingly. For perhaps he has departed for a season, actually he ran away, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord now, as a believer. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him, what a great verse, as myself. If he's wronged thee, or owed thee, ought, put that on my account, I, Paul, have written with my own hand. He ends this little epistle. Paul perhaps had a bad hand, or excuse me, not handwriting, bad eyesight. He says, I'm closing this with my own hand. And I am telling you, Philemon, I will repay. Some have asked, how could Paul, a prisoner, ever have the money to repay anything? But there is good, uh, good knowledge that Paul had some money stored somewhere at his disposal he wasn't just saying this as a courtesy. I, I, I've written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee that thou owest, how much thou owest unto me, even thine own self. Besides, Paul had led Philemon to the Lord. Yea, brother, let me have joy in thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels, my heart, my spirit, my soul in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say as it regards Onesimus. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. What a masterful stroke this is. 
Paul is saying, would you please take care of this runaway slave? And I'm going to be back to check on it. <laughs> Therefore, I salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in the Christ, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, at this point had not yet forsaken him, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So we see here this wonderful letter. It's a masterful letter appealing for this runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus lived with his, at this time, slavery was very much in vogue in the Roman Empire. A great majority of all the citizens of Rome were indentured servants slash slaves. But, but uh, this man, uh, by the name of Philemon, to which this epistle is really addressed, this man Philemon was a was a slave owner. He was a really an estate owner. His house was large enough to host the church at Colossae. And you see where Colossae is in Asia Minor. And it's hard to see perhaps the map behind me because Rome is tucked way up to the right, the top of the map. That's a journey in that day's economy, perhaps of 1,200 miles. So this slave that he had by the name of Onesimus, we don't know if he had others as well in the household, but this slave, and we do not know why. Whether it was harsh treatment, we hardly believe that because of the character references Paul gives to Philemon, but for some reason this slave decided to run away. And he ran twelve to 1,300 miles up to Rome. Can you just see him as the wind is blowing in his face? And perhaps stolen money. There are some that believe, some commentators believe that he absconded with some money to make the trip. Because a slave didn't have much money at the time. And off he went with a spring in his step, fresh wind in his face, off to his future. But it didn't take long, did it? You know, sin finds us out. And as he ran along the way and the pathway to Rome, his own conscience, no doubt, began to speak to him in the sheer weight of guilt of the things that he had done. Sooner or later, he finds himself like the prodigal son where he's wasted his money and guilt has overcome him. And he's seeking, he's seeking some advice, some counsel, some 1,300 miles away from the place where he, he belonged there in Rome. I suspect he found Paul himself. There are some that we don't really know. It's speculation. Some that believe that Onesimus was probably caught up in another petty crime or some, for some reason he was dragged into the jailhouse where Paul was. But I dare say that this man, because of the fact that Paul is sending him away without any more jail time at the end of the letter, sending him back, I, I think that perhaps what happened is that, uh, that Onesimus knows about who Paul is and where Paul is before he even made the journey. And when he arrives in Rome, knowing that he's far away from the place that God has for him, that he deserves rightfully in that time to be in the, the employ of his master Philemon and the guilt of what he's done, perhaps what he has taken, drives him to find some consolation. Have you ever been chased by a guilty conscience? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Bible says our sin will find us out. There is a hounding nature to our sinful past. And it may be something that you have done that's wicked or wrong just yesterday. 
but it could be years ago. I left the mission field as a young boy, 14, and I knew as I was uh, coming back at that age that I was not going to return. My parents were coming back home to stay in the States, but I knew there was a boy that I had offended uh, deeply. And you might think, well, that's no big deal. Let time heal all wounds. But God kept whispering to me, you need to make it right with Peter. Peter was uh, another missionary kid whose parents lived in England. <laughs> I kept telling the Holy Spirit, but he lives in England. And the Spirit of the Lord, through my conscience, reminded me, do all that you can to repair the offense, because that's right, the right thing to do. So here he is, Onesimus. Whether he is hauled in by the officials in Rome to the jail where Paul is, or whether his own guilt it was too weighty for him, but he was there looking for some kind of consolation and comfort, knowing that his sin had found him out. How did Paul even know Onesimus or Philemon? How did they even know each other? Well, the chances are good as we study the background that Paul, of course, knew Philemon. He had been witnessing and starting churches in Asia Minor. We know that. And not too far away from him there in Ephesus, Paul had come and did a campaign and started a church there. No doubt, that is where Philemon, the slave owner and the estate owner, had traveled to hear Paul preach. And there was that, that wonderful moment when this man from Colossae traveled to Ephesus and there he found out Christ. He found Christ by the testimony of Paul. He came to know the Lord. And I'm sure that Onesimus, the servant, heard of Paul through the glowing testimony of a changed life of his own master. And not only Philemon, but look, verse 2, Aphia and Archippus, the boy, the son, they come. this is a household of faith because of Paul. And so there is this character commendation. And we see it here as we see the story of how useless becomes useful and how the worthless one becomes worthy. What has Christ done for you? What sort of turnaround have you noticed in your life? Martin Luther says this about this little book. He said this, I think we're all found in this book somewhere. We all are. And here's what he says. We are all God's Onesimi. I guess that's plural for Onesimus. And it's true. I always look for myself in the Bible, and I'm not always found in the prettiest of places. I think we could all identify with Onesimus. Have you ever run away from the will of God? Have you? I have. And God is so good in His mercy to draw us back I think of the Bible stories of Rahab and Samson and Gomer, the prodigal son. The Bible says, all we like sheep, finish this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Yet the Lord hath laid on his son the iniquity of, of us all. This is a picture of God's grace to us. And I in this story am not, I am not Philemon or Paul. I am Onesimus. I'm the runaway. Romans chapter 3 says this, we have all gone out of the way. We have become altogether, here's the word in the King James, we have become altogether 
unprofitable. There you go. You might think this morning more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In God's eyes as sinners, we don't have anything that recommends us or commends us to the grace of God. It is His love, pure and simple, that reached out to us. So, in this story, there are four main characters. There's Onesimus the fugitive, the criminal, the runaway. Paul the advocate, interceptor, intercessor. Philemon the offended, the violated, the forgiver. And Christ the reconciler. We'll get to that tonight. But God is seen as the main character or the actor in all this. God is always working in situations like this. And he is the main actor of the Bible. And Christ sees our need for a rescue. And he intercedes for us as Paul did. And as Onesimus ran, Christ is always running with us. Whether we're running, and this morning you are either running to him or you are running away from Christ. You can't be static in your life. So this morning the question is, are you a fugitive as well from God and his will? The story is for you, my friend. Paul Pled the case, so did Christ for us, promising, offering to repay. And so Christ on the cross stretched out his hands and took your place. As Paul offered to repay every debt for this slave, so the Lord saw us in our slavery to sin and said, I will come. I will reach down in compassion and love. I will live among them. I will stand with them, live among them. And then finally, I will give my life. I will take the penalty for their sin. From sinner to saint, God changes our name as Onesimus' name went from worthless to worthy because of the compassion of his friends. So first, let's look at the compassion, the fact that compassion is rooted, just two points this morning, compassion is rooted in Christ's likeness. We've read the verses, this is really... Uh, Paul's character reference of Philemon. First verse, he mentions that he's a slave, but not of Rome. It's interesting, twice he mentions this. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and uh, that's a wonderful way to look at our suffering. If it's God sent, we are then, of course, prisoners of his love and of his plan. Philemon, uh, verse 2 and 3, is, uh, as I mentioned, uh, quite a wealthy man, we assume, his house large enough to host the church at Colossae, and it's possibly a, uh, even a state that he's on because he's got servants to his charge. He could be a very wealthy man, perhaps was. And we notice his family. His family is too faithful, serving the Lord in the church that is in his house, verse 2. And the, the, the Bible, verse 3, gives us the, the greeting that's very familiar to Paul. Grace to you, that's the that's the source. Grace to you and peace is the result of that. The gospel brings peace to our hearts. A little bumper sticker that's been around for years and years. I think I see I saw it first in high school, but no Christ, no peace. That's K N O W. And then underneath, you've seen this? No Christ N O, no peace. And that's true. Peace is rooted, anchored in grace. Once you come to know Christ, dear friend, you know the peace of God. And once you have peace with God, you have peace of God. No matter what your trouble is, God gives you the attending peace. I wonder how many in our audience this morning are unsettled in your heart. 
Could it be, just a question, could it be that you don't know Christ, K-N-O-W, because to know Him is to know the peace of God that passes all understanding or knowing. Hope you're not settled. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but God will never. His word will never, and his hold on you will never. Onesimus was running, but God had a plan for his life. And these are truly heavenly treasures, grace to you and peace. Paul says, I thank God making mention of thee always in my prayers. What a wonderful ministry is that. And I'm thankful for the the character reference of Philemon. He said, I've heard about you, verse 5. I've heard about you. I know you. Perhaps not intimately, but he knows him. He said, I've heard of thy love and faith, your belief and your expression of it, which you have, and here's a great thought, toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And then he says this. Remember, our first principle here is compassion is rooted in Christ-likeness. And so we look at the character of this man by the name of Philemon, that the communication, verse 6, that's koinonia. I like the idea of the word fellowship there. It holds, I think, a deeper, richer level of understanding than just communication. It's not that he was good at articulating nice things or spiritual things. He had the ability to fellowship. That's relational, isn't it? It's not just articulation. He says that the fellowship of thy faith has become effectual. That is the word energetic in the Greek. It has become effectual. It has, it, has become, it has become energized by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. So God has given you a gift, and that's a good thing that comes from Christ and his ability, Philemon's ability to love people around him. Paul is setting the stage here. He says, if there's anything good in you, Philemon, it is because God, through His grace, has gifted you and placed it in you. Do you know that church, listen now, church is not a spectator sport? And Paul is saying to Philemon, great commendation. Compassion that you show to others is rooted in your relationship to God. God has empowered and energized that truth in you. And you might think, especially for next Sunday, I don't know where I can engage or get involved in the church this year. I'd like to do more, perhaps, with what God has given. I just don't know that I can. I don't know if I have time. I don't know if I... And, and, and Paul is saying, do you know that God has gifted you with the energy and power when you got saved to engage in effective ministry? God's placed that in you. And God has made you for that. And Philemon, we see that in you. And Paul is fixing, that's a southern term, Paul is fixing to ask him to do a hard thing, to love somebody who is unlovely that hurt him. And yet Paul reminds him, Christ's likeness or Christ in you provides the power to do and to love others. Have God ever asked you to love somebody that's unlovely? You think, God, I can't do that. The first principle of compassion is rooted in Christ's likeness. The fellowship that you, sh- you show to others is refreshing. It's rich. It's effectual and energetic. These are things that Paul says, this is because of Christ in you, my brother. He, see, he says that in verse 6. And Paul, of course, is going to 
get ready to ask him to, to, to forgive and to love someone that has hurt him deeply. And he might think, Philemon might think, I could never, ever do that. He's run from me 1,200 plus miles. I could never love him again, but God in you can. So that's a great key. Compassion is rooted in the very nature of Christ who loves us. I was reading in my devotions this week in, uh, um, in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 13. This is a case where Judah has just spent 70 years in captivity. They're coming back and they're already doing the same sins that led them into captivity. And Ezra the scribe, the ready scribe, says some words that reminded me of God's character of compassion towards us. Here's what he says. Ezra 9.13, After all, Lord, you have allowed us to escape Babylon, and after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds, speaking on behalf of Judah, and for our great trespasses, seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us, God, you have punished us. Now listen to the next phrase, less than our iniquities deserve. That's our God. Because God rightly could simply consume us for our repeated offenses against him. Have any of you ever sinned a sin and then sinned that sin again? And have you ever made God angry because of your repeated straying, your proneness to wonder? God has every right and is justified in simply snapping his fingers and saying, I'm through with you. I'm done. I'm done reminding and pursuing you. But yet, God, because of his compassion and mercy withholds this just justice and anger. And he has, speaking through Ezra, he says, he has, he has not given us what we deserve, but has, has had compassion less than our iniquities deserve. Verse 7. So he's acting like Christ. The compassion is rooted in Christ's likeness. Verse 7. The heart of the church is refreshed by thee, brother. I like the kind of the, the call that Paul is giving um, Philemon to forgive uh, someone who has offended him greatly. And forgiveness, of course, is to release or cancel a debt, to treat others as Christ treated us on the cross. And he says of, he says of Philemon's character, notice the phrase in our Bibles in verse 7, for we have great joy and comfort, in thy love, because the really this word comes from spleen, but the heart of the saints are refreshed by thee. Brother, we were reading this week an author who says, I don't have that personality. When I walk in the room, the whole thing ices over. <laughs> Here the idea is, this man, Philemon, because of the grace of God in his heart, when he walked into the room, the birds started singing, right? Flowers started blooming. And the whole place warmed up. That's Philemon, because of the grace of God. And he is commending this spirit and this Christ-likeness. Dads, I wonder, just a question. Dads, I wonder if your children might not be benefited by this grace and endowment in your home. Moms, I wonder if your children always see you as the sheriff in town. or the. And I know we've got to be that, the disciplinarian. But I wonder if their hearts are refreshed by the way you speak, the tone of your voice, the attitude of your heart. This is the idea of a refreshing 
wind provided just like a cool breeze on a hot summer day. This man, because of his love for others and his love for Christ, when he walked into a place and he met the saints that came to his house, they were encouraged, refreshed. What a compassionate ministry we all need. We're going to ask you to engage in different ministries, but let's talk about the attitude of ministry for a moment. Philemon, I'd like to be more like Philemon, wouldn't you? Where people would see me and say, you know what? Here comes Mr. Refreshment. Not, uh uh-oh, we better run and hide. Do your kids run and hide when you come in the house under the bed? Well, they're always doing wrong stuff. Do you have the balance that you need in your life where you can discipline and then hug and bring close and say the reason we did that was because we want you to follow Christ and love Christ and do what's right and we love you too much to let you sin consistently and we love you. And if we had to choose from all the... I did this with my grandson this, this past week when they were here. Um, I don't know what he was doing, but it wasn't right. <laughs> and even though he was at grandpa's house for one week, he still did bad stuff. Your kids are the same way. And so I pulled him aside. I said, listen, if I had all the callons in the world, I'd, and I had to pick one, I'd pick you. Even though you did that, I still love you. And Philemon has this grace about him that brings the church that was he that he was custodian of, pastor of, perhaps at least host of. It brought them to a place where we want to be there. We want to be at Philemon's house. We want to go there. There's an attractiveness to the grace of God that doesn't overlook sin. <laughs> but still has a remedy for it. I wonder if you're that kind of a person. I wonder if you're that kind of refreshing person. And so we see that compassion really is bound up in the heart of God. And I will just tell you this as a church, we're going to talk about various programs next Sunday morning, Vision Sunday. And we're going to talk about opportunities for you to serve but do you know it will not be, it will not be, it will, as I say that already, it will not be a program, a new twist on the schedule, or anything like that that will bring folks to the church. It will be your compassionate heart. Did you hear me? There is an attractiveness to the gospel. And I am attracted to churches where there is a sense in which people love God and love me. That's the great commandment. You love your neighbors, yourself, love God with all your heart. Well, that's a great, great character reference. We see, secondly, compassion is revealed in our involvement. It is revealed in our involvement. How are you involved in the lives of others? Well, verses, verses 8 and 9, we see Paul begins to commend or at least turn the tension or the, the subject matter to this runaway slave. Wherefore, verse 8, though I might be bold to order you around about this, to order you, enjoin, uh, that's what the word means, to do that which is convenient, again, a word that means simply proper. Paul says, now, Philemon, <clears throat> I could, because of my apostleship here, because I led you to the Lord, and because I established churches nearby, 
I know that I could in my, put on that apostle hat and just tell you to do this. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to force you. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. What does that word mean to you? Beseech. We don't say that much in our language today. I don't think I've said that for a while. I beseech thee. What is that? Simply, I appeal to you. That's a great word. Being such a one as Paul, the aged, now also a prisoner. I appeal to you for my son, Anesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. He advocates for this boy that has somehow come into his jail cell, or at least into his, his short little confined space. And he says, I've met Onesimus, and, I, and immediately, I'm sure, Philemon's uh, ire got kind of uh, hackles on his neck. How, how did Paul, how did he get there? Well, Paul is going to explain some things. He's going to advocate. So what he does in this advocation for him, he says, I, I want to appeal, and he does. I'm appealing to you. That's a nice way of saying I'm gently coming, bringing this young man or this man to your attention who belongs to you in that economy and has run away from you. And then, interesting, secondly, Paul, there's an interesting phrase here. Paul not only appeals, but Paul, verse 10, adopts. He uses the language of adoption. I beseech thee for my son, my son. Is that literal? Is that physical? Is that blood? No. Paul, you know, was not married at this stage, at least, and he didn't have a son that we know of. So what does he mean exactly? I'm sure you know. That he has simply adopted in the sense of spiritual, I'm his spiritual daddy. I have, while he's been in my custody here, at least where I've known him, I have led him to the Lord, and so he is my spiritual son. You see how he goes from just appealing and now placing upon him the title of adoption. I, I want you to know that every one of us owe our spiritual life to somebody who took us under wing and shared the gospel. Paul was that person in Onesimus's life. I beseech thee, verse 10, for my son. I don't know what that did. I don't know what that did to Onesimus's ears and heart when he heard Paul, as he dictated this letter in jail to the one, probably Tychicus or others who would take it to Philemon, his ears perked up. What? I'm just a slave. I, I, I appeal to you for my son, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past to thee was unprofitable, now he's profitable to thee and to me. Oh, what sweet words. As they landed upon the very soul of this runaway. And I'm going to send him again. And I want you to receive him. That is mine own heart. And I would have loved to keep him. That in your place, he might have ministered to me in this place. Desperate place of confinement. The bonds of the gospel. You see what he's doing? First of all, and I, I say this. In the sense of Paul's advocacy, Paul advocates, verse 17, for him. Therefore, if you count me a partner, receive him as myself. He's a, first of all, Paul does this. I wish we had somebody, we could probably pull somebody up and uh, do this. But first of all, Paul does this. He, he says, I, I stand 
up for him. You ever stood up for anybody? Uh, I stand up for him. That is, well, we, <laughs> we, sta- we stand up for someone. Have you ever done that? Vouch for somebody? I vouch for him. Maybe you've written a letter of commendation. Said, hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to yeah, I give a reference, a good reference. Paul saying to, to Philemon, I stand up for him. But that can be done at a distance, right? Paul didn't do that. He said, I, I start by that. He's used to be what? He used to be worthless. And now I want you to know he's worth something. He's, he's useful. He's living up to his name now. Paul didn't do this without some character evaluation. We aren't to just flatter someone without basis at all. So Paul says, I stand up uh, for him. And then he, stands, he says this, he goes beyond. I, but I also <clears throat> want you to know I stand with him. He is, he is like, to me, he's like a son in the faith. I stand up for him, but I'm moving closer to him now. I stand right beside him. Who is your Onesimus that you're saying, no matter what it is, I stand. I'm right here. I'm identifying. Paul's saying, Paul the apostle, the aging apostle, the, uh, the incarcerated apostle, I'm standing with this boy, Philemon, and I want you to know, not only do I vouch for him, stand uh, up for him, I stand with him, but Paul goes one more step in his advocacy. What does he do? If you know the end of the story, he says, what? Not only am I calling my son, and I'm giving a character reference, I'm going to tell you something else. I'm going to stand not only beside him, for him, I'm going to stand in his place. So when, I, when you receive him, when you receive him, and I'm sending him back, when you receive him, I want you to know something. You're receiving my own heart. He says, my heart is, compassion is about your heart. It's not a, absent. He says, I'm sending the boy back. I'd like to keep him. Boy, would I like to keep him. He is serving me, and I need him in the jail, but I'm sent, he deserves, he needs to go back to you. But when he gets there, I want you to know the first thing that happens when he walks back onto the farm or whatever, and he shows up with Titicus, probably sent him with somebody so they didn't get <laughs> torn up on the way. Did you know, did you know that a slave who did what Onesimus did was in every consideration a target for execution in that, in that day and age? Many times, for much less than this, slaves in that day were simply just exterminated at the whim of their owner. And here Paul is saying, I'm sending him back with with someone who is a consort with him, and I'm sending him back. And just think about this, a big red heart, okay? Picture that. It's got Paul's heart, and it's plastered across his chest as he comes back to Philemon's ranch. Just think about that. He said, I'm sending him, that is to say, my own heart. It's in the text. And, and here's what Paul is doing. I not only vouch for him, I not only stand beside him as to his character, and I'm adopting him as my spiritual son. But when he comes back, here's this third sense of advocacy. He said, I'm not just sending a commendation and somebody to take him there. I've adopted him spiritually. He's changed. I vouch for that. But when he gets there, he's wearing my heart. You see him. And when you see him, you have to know that that's me. He's wearing my heart on it. I put my heart into this, and when he gets there, 
How could, how could Philemon tread on that? So Paul masterfully puts himself not only for, beside, but he puts himself in the place of. You talk about advocacy to the nth degree. Paul has done that with this boy. And so when he returns, he has the assurance. He has this wonderful assurance that, that, that when Philemon receives him, the runaway, and here's what it says, verse 17, If thou therefore count me a partner, receive him as what? Verse 17, as myself. A wonderful truth. He appeals, he adopts, he advocates, standing for, beside, and the place of. And I think of, don't you, that old rugged cross uh, where Christ looked at our hearts and looked at our need and made the long compassionate trip to our planet, walked on our streets. And because in mercy Jesus came, my soul and mercy to reclaim, he's placed me on a higher plane, right? That's what the song says. In love he rescued me. Great to rescue little babies before they're taken prematurely in the womb. But it's still greater thing that once folks are born... There is that sense in us that we want to rescue them from an eternal hell. That truly is a calling. And Paul expresses that. Paul, in a sense, is Christ-like too. Because he says this, If he's wronged thee or owes thee anything, you put that on my account. You put that on my charge. I have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee that thou owest me even thine own self besides. On an old rugged cross stood an emblem, right? Suffering and shame. And I'm so glad on that old rugged cross, Jesus died for my sin and yours. I am signing, Paul says, I am signing basically <clears throat> a blank check for all his debts, just as Christ did for my sins and for yours. We are told in Colossians that Christ took every handwriting, every ordinance, every crime that we had committed against him. And do you know what that verse says? He took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. And he blotted every one out. By what? Nailing it to the cross. In loving kindness, Jesus came. My soul in mercy to reclaim. Thankful for this wonderful... We'll finish it up tonight. Just one more point. Don't miss it. Tonight at 5.30. We'll pray as we do. I'd like to dismiss the parents to go pick up their sweet babies, those little treasures, and we'll meet them up the front here in just a moment. Father, we're thankful for these truths, and I pray, Lord, that we would uh, be more compassionate, be more like Christ in our ministry. Our heads are bowed this morning, and I do believe we'll have a, a stanza or two of a song, just of appeal or invitation, and it may be in your life you have lived, maybe you're running away this morning, like Onesimus, and you understand that you need to return. Maybe by the time we sing this song, you would just quietly slip out and confess that to the Lord and ask for His mercy before it's too late for you. Compassion is rooted in Christ's likeness. Maybe you have not expressed that.
displayed that like Philemon had. And then it's revealed by our involvement. Perhaps you have not been involved, engaged in the gospel and grace. Let's stand quietly together, shall we? As the piano plays, you pray where you are. Then I'll have Brother Andrew just lead us in a hymn as we close. If you need to come and pray, you do that. If you're here without Christ, we'd love to take the word and show you how you can know for sure you're part of the family of God. You come as we sing. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.